I just feel like sharing this with you before we get started. Um, you know, sometimes stuff just happens. You know, um, you're going along, get bit by a sickness, disease, you don't know why it's happening, it just happens. You know, what did I do wrong? Did I open a door? Eh, sometimes, but sometimes you just, it just happens. And um, so then you have a pretty bad night or two, and you're feeling pretty down, you're feeling in the dumps, what do you do? Uh, you got to begin to declare the Word of God. By His stripes I am healed. Now, your feelings, your body, your mind, everything is telling you, I don't feel like doing this, but you got to do it anyway. And one of the things I, I, I do is um, I will say, well, you know what, I, I had a, I, I will usually say, well, I'm going to have a better day tomorrow than I did today. The declaration is what reminded me of that, you know. And then uh, if I had a better day the next day, I said, I had a better day today than I did yesterday. And I just declare by faith that I'm going to have a better day tomorrow than I did today. And if I had a good night, if I have a bad night, I'll say, I'm going to have a better night tomorrow night than I did tonight. And if I had a good night, I will say, I had a good night last night, but I'm going to have an even better night tomorrow in Jesus' name, right? And so uh, you always want to look forward. Uh, you don't want to uh, live in the dumps. You want to look uh, forward. You want to look out. You're not going to be there forever. You're going to get out of it. Uh, when you're in it, you feel like it's the end of the world, but that's okay. Your feelings lie to you. Did I, did, did I say something there? Can we get a few more lights? I, I can't see that good. Your feelings will lie to you, right? The men are going yes. The women are going no. They do. They lie to you, right? So you got to learn. Uh, you know, children, do you know children are wonderful? They're beautiful. One of most, until you have them, you don't realize how wonderful they're the most wonderful thing you can have. But, you know, they'll lie to you too, right? <laughs> yes, they will. <laughs> So what do you got to do? You got to discipline them. You got to put them in a check. You got to make sure that, that they don't run amok, you know. And it's the same with your feelings. Your feelings, uh, if you're not careful, they will control your life. They will lead you astray. They will, uh, uh, they will uh, direct you in paths you really don't need to go. Now, feelings are wonderful. I want them. I like them. I don't have them as strongly as some of you all have them. Um, it's okay. They're, they're great. But they cannot... Be allowed to determine the will of God for your life. Cannot do it. It's the Word of God that determines your will. So you've got to learn, just like with children, you have to discipline them. You have to learn. And some children need more discipline than others, right? So you have to learn how to keep your feelings in check. And just tell, I tell my body, <laughs> okay, so as you're getting older, your body wants to do things that you don't want your body to do. So sometimes I'll talk to my body. I know I'm kind of weird, but I'll just say, body, listen, we're going to have to get along here, and if you don't start behaving, we're not going to get along very well. And I said, here's what I need you to do. And then when it starts uh, acting up, I will speak to my body. I said, you will come into line. You're going to do this, right? It, we don't need to be at odds here. Now, I know you may think I'm weird talking to my body, but every once in a while when I find my body starts reacting and cooperating, then I'll say, Hey, body, we're doing pretty good here. I appreciate what you're doing here. We're doing well. You know, you got to give it a little praise every once in a while as well. But uh, I know you may think I'm weird, but I found I've been doing this. It's worked in my life. I thank God for it. Everything's the Lord. I give credit to God for everything. But 
you don't have to just declare only when we do the declaration. You can begin to speak life into your life, into your body, into your finances. You speak the Word of God, not just what you want, but what the Word of God teaches you, and then you'll find that the Word of God actually has power, okay? All right. So, title of the message, Keep on Walking, Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. No questions, no rebuttals, go. While he sent the multitudes away, when he had seen them, sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Uh, sometimes you've got to get away. You've you got to get alone with God to have a quiet time. I read this the other day. It really hit home. He said, I love technology. Um, I've got the newest phone. I, always, I like to have new stuff. I just like it. My, my wife thinks, why do you do that? I, I said, why do you buy shoes? You know, It's what I like. I, I enjoy that. But if you're not careful, one of the things that all the distractions of our modern-day society will do is it will rob you of what you need to become an overcoming victorious Christian. We no longer, you know why we have to have seminars on how to get free of stuff? Because people no longer spend time at the altar. And when they spend time at the altar, they got their phone there going bing, 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 bing. They got their alarms going bing, bing, all this kind of stuff. They got everything distracting them. And you, you, the basic discipline of a Christian life is having a time alone with God. The monks, I'm not saying we need to be monks, but there was a time when what people would do is they'd go out into the desert, they'd leave everything aside, and they would live solitary, hermit-like lives to spend time with God. And many of them came out of the desert full of God and full of the power of God. Right? So what I want to encourage you to do is don't, don't throw technology away. We need it. We have jobs. Some, some of us have to be on, on, on call all the time. But find a time when you can shut your phone off, right? Now, my quiet time, I'll be honest with you, I have a computer, but my computer's on my, it's on my, on my Bible and, and, and stuff like that. So you can use your computers and your phones, but turn the message, messages off. Turn the emails off. You know what? You, you're, I got off of Facebook several years ago because I had to, and I don't miss it. The world didn't fall apart. My world didn't fall apart because I got off Facebook, right? But what you might find is that you might put yourself together. The Lord might be able to put yourself to put you together in a, in a greater way because you spend time in his presence alone with God. So anyway, Jesus himself, the Lord, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm never going to get through this passage. So Jesus um, um, went, on, went on a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said to him, O ye of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So in this text, Jesus sees his disciples struggling through a storm. That's preventing them from carrying out his will, his purpose, his directions for their lives. And in this particular instance, it was to go to the other side. 
He comes to them through a miraculous event as he walks on the water. And I want to use this idea of Jesus' walk and apply it to Peter's life and then also to ourselves as well as we open up this idea of walking out the Christian life. So the first question we want to ask is, what is the biblical meaning of walk? Along with that, we want to look at how Jesus walked and then look at how Peter did in his walk of faith with the Lord and then again apply it to our lives. So when I talk about the word walk, I'm talking about metaphorically. I'm not talking about physically walking, but I'm talking about walking uh, in the sense of um, walking in the Spirit means to live a life that depends on the Spirit's power, to grow in godliness, to obey God's commands, experiencing increasing intimacy with God. So when I talk about walking with God, I'm talking about how you live your life in, in relationship with God, right? 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, in other words, what you say and what you practice is different, that's what your walk is. Your walk is not just what you say, your walk is what you do, right? We lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So first we want to look at Jesus' walk. Now, uh, as we looked in our text, Jesus came to them walking on the sea, walking on the ocean. And it wasn't just any kind of sea. It was a boisterous sea. The storm was raging. He was just walking along. Now, I, I don't know if he cut through the waves or if he was going up and down. I mean, I have no idea. That's really open up to debate. The, the, the Bible didn't tell us. All I know is that the storm didn't overcome him. He overcame the storm, Right? He was, living a, uh, he was living a victorious, overcoming, supernatural walk of faith, right? Now, it's important to understand, we say, well, of course, you might say, well, he's Jesus. Well, we will keep uh, going over this theme again and again until we get it. Jesus was God, but he was God made flesh. And when he came into this earth, he didn't function with any of his God powers. Everything he did on this earth, he did as a man indwelt and then empowered by the Spirit of God, right? So uh, we see that whenever Jesus begins his ministry, he was baptized by the Holy Spirit, and immediately after he was baptized by the Spirit, he begins to do incredible things in his walk. Uh, I don't have it in there, but it says one of the, one of the scriptures I like, uh, I think it's Matthew 4.23. Jesus walked, it says went throughout all Galilee, but we could say it this way. He walked all throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, teaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every sort of sickness and every sort of disease among the people, right? This was the kind of walk that Jesus had. He was empowered by the Spirit of God, Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't do any of those things, but God can. And if we recognize that Jesus was a man empowered by the Spirit of God, as a man, he probably couldn't do any of those things. As God, he can do anything. But as a man, the way that he did these things was when the Spirit of God came upon him. That's why he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me too. How does he do these things? By the Spirit of God that's upon his life. Acts 10, 38 kind of sums it up this way. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about, I like to think, he walked around, his life, his walk, went around doing 
good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So what was he doing? He was, on a, he was loosening them from the work of the devil. How did he do this? By the Spirit of God. Now, here we come to 1 John 2 and 6. It's going to segue to the next section. He who says he abides in me, Jesus says, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Talking about the Lord, right? So that brings us to Peter's walk. Now remember, we, in our text, the first glimpse we have of Jesus is walking a supernatural, overcoming, victorious life over the tumultuous waves of the sea. You can go farther. You can say the sea is a type of the, the world that we live in, and sometimes the world we live in can be tumultuous. We found that out a couple of years ago, right? But Jesus was not beaten by the waves. He was not surprised. He just walked over it, and he continued to walk that way. Now we see the Peter, and we're going to highlight Peter in the same text. In Matthew 14, 28 through 29, the Bible says, Peter answered the Lord and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, nope, can't do it. I'm God. You're not. Forget it. Is that what he said? He said, come, right? And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, let's be clear. They're in the middle of a storm. They're not in a lab. They're not having an altar worker's class. There's nothing wrong with a class. They're in the middle of the altar. They're doing the stuff. But this is, this is, a, bad, this is a bad scene. Everybody's manifesting. What do I do? You know, uh, uh, kind of using that as a scenario. They're on the ocean, and the ocean is, is tumultuous. The waves are billowing. The wind is blowing. Uh, uh, the, 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 the mist is, is, is incredibly uh, 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 pelting them. And Peter says... I want to do what you're doing, right? It's not a lab. This is real life, and it's the worst part of life. And Jesus said, come. And Peter gets out, and you know what he's doing? He's doing just what Jesus did. He's walking on the water, right? So first thing, we're going to kind of put a pause there and just kind of look a little bit at this word walk and how it applies to, to Peter and Jesus and see what Peter was called to do. So the first thing we find is that Peter was called to walk with Jesus, right? Matthew 4, 18 through 20, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. What was Jesus doing? Walking throughout all Galilee. Now he's got two disciples following him, right? And then Matthew 16, 18 through 19, uh, uh, Jesus says, as Peter uh, recognizes who he is, he says, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So he's watching Jesus, he's walking with Jesus, and now Jesus is turning to him, and he's saying to Peter, Peter, you and all who recognize who I am and confess me are going to walk as I did. And that's the second thing we're going to look at. Peter is empowered to walk like Jesus, not just to walk with Jesus. He's empowered to walk like Jesus. So some of us, we, we need to realize that we're empowered to walk with Jesus, but we're also empowered to walk like Jesus. The works that I do, 
Greater works than these shall you do. Okay, so Matthew 10, 1 through 2. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And the names of the 12 apostles are these, and I just included this in there so you can realize we're talking to Peter. First, Simon, who is called Peter. So Peter is empowered to walk like Jesus. Matthew 10, 7 through 8, he says, as you go, preach. Remember, Jesus was preaching because the Spirit of God was upon him. And now the disciples were going to go out, and because Jesus has given them authority, and I believe the Spirit of God was going to go with them to help them, he was going, they were going to preach. And what were they supposed to preach? The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and they were supposed to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. This is important for us to realize, right? Because sometimes we don't realize the scope of what we've been called to do as a church, Right? We, uh, I think sometimes we feel like that as a church, we are, and we are, we are so grateful and so privileged to, to, to know the Lord, to be safe under the shadow of his wings. We are. I am. I'm grateful, grateful, grateful. If that's all I ever got to experience, then I would be, I would be so happy just to know, and I am happy just to know him and somehow survive this world to get to heaven. I was thinking about heaven when I was standing over there and, and you know, realizing that, that, that heaven, I've never seen it. I was actually thinking about some of those that have gone on before us and, and uh, what it was going to be like when I get to heaven. Are they going to be my neighbors, you know? Uh, uh, what, how are we going to... And I, then I started thinking, is that really what heaven is like? I believe it is what heaven is like. But, you know, we have to live the present life in keeping with what God has promised us for the future life. That's true, right? But if I only live my life trying to get to heaven, I'm selling Jesus' work on the cross short. Because that's not what he empowered us to do. He didn't empower us just to get to heaven. That's a wonderful thing. I'm grateful for that. But he actually empowered us to walk as he walked. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And if we don't recognize that, if, we, if our mission is to get to heaven, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to get to heaven, but if that is your, your agenda, then you're going to do what you can to accomplish that agenda. Right? But if your agenda is to walk like Jesus walked, then you're going to find yourself doing something different than just whatever it takes to get to heaven. So it's real important that we be, um, uh, uh, um, what's the right word? That we be accurate, biblically, in what God has called us to do. Right? Because if you have the wrong vision, you're going to accomplish something, but it might not be the right things. But if you have... God's vision, what the Bible says is his vision, and see, I'm not interested in what the church has said the vision is supposed to be, what others that have gone before have said the vision is supposed to be. What I'm interested is in is what the Bible says the, my vision is supposed to be. And you say, well, that's not what people that have gone on before, that's not what they taught, that's not, and I've heard that before, that's not what they said. Well, I'm, I'm in no way trying to 
to bring them down or to say that what they're doing is wrong. I'm not doing that at all. All I'm saying is that when I read the Bible, I read something different. I don't read that we're just to try to somehow make it to heaven. I read that we are the light of the world. And we're supposed to arise and shine, right? For the, for, uh, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. Well, we can't arise and shine if we're hiding in a, in a church. Hiding from the big bad devil that's trying to blow our house down. Right? I think Jesus built a more powerful house than that. And we are the house of God. And I think that the enemy's worst fear is that we recognize who Jesus is that lives inside of us and recognize what we are truly called to do. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the de uh, lepers. I can't do that. You're right. I can't do that either. But Jesus can. And he lives inside of us. Do you realize that? He lives Inside of us. You know when you go home, Woody? You know, God goes with you. Because he lives inside of you. God of the universe. Let's not, let's not just overshoot this. The God that created the universe that we can't even see with the, brave, the biggest telescopes, the farthest, we can't even see. He lives inside of us. You know, you ever seen those movies where a kid is getting picked on by a bully, getting picked on by a bully, getting picked on by a bully, and all of a sudden he realizes that the biggest guy in school has now become his friend? And all of a sudden he gets a little brave and he realizes, I don't have to let you pick on me before because my friend is backing me up. Right? When you realize that Jesus is backing you up, we can be bold. We can be um, the, on the offensive, not just on the defensive. Now, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We don't use worldly weapons. But we can, with divine strategy, overcome and live a victorious Christian life. What do you mean with divine strategy? Well, God doesn't do things the way we do things. Right? Uh, everybody's getting bit by snakes. I got an idea. Put a snake, a brown snake, on a pole and lift it up, and whoever looks at it will be healed. Not my idea. It was his idea. And guess what? When you do his idea, it don't make any sense in the natural realm, but it works. I'll tell you another crazy idea. Uh, um, okay, biggest, baddest city in the, in, in, the, in the land of Canaan is the one he's called us to. It's the first one, right? How are we going to do it? I'm sure Joshua got all his generals together, and they powwowed. They came up with some kind of plan, you know. And all of a sudden, uh, 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 Joshua's probably feeling pretty good about himself, goes off just to get a little quiet time on his own, and he has a vision, and in his vision, he sees the captain of the Lord of hosts. And Joshua says, uh, are you on our side, or are you on their side? And the captain of the Lord of hosts says, I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. So what he's really saying is, it's not whose side I'm on, it's whose side are you on? And then there's a chapter break in that. And if we're not careful, if you, if you, if you rely on the chapter break, you're going to think that there was a space of time in between that chapter and the next chapter. It's no, same conversation. 
in that conversation, the angel of the Lord of hosts begins to tell him how they're going to take this big, bad city. And when they went and looked at Jericho, what Jericho uh, uh, looked at, it had two, it had an outer wall and had an inner wall. And they said chariots could ride on this wall. It was so massively built, right? And so how are we going to do that? And the angel, uh, angel of the Lord, the captain of the Lord of hosts, begins to give Joshua the plans. And Joshua could have said, no, we, we've already got our own plans. I know I'm going off a little bit, but that's okay. I feel all right. Okay. Um, we got our own plans. How many of us, sometimes we do that? We hear some, we go to the Lord and we hear some, something that sounds to us crazy, right? Lord, look at how they're treating me. Look at what they've done to me. Uh, look at this. And you hear, hear a voice that says, well, go do something nice for them. That ain't God. No, that ain't, uh-uh. Uh, I've already got my own plans. I've ordered a trebuchet, and I've ordered one of those hangman things, and I'm ready, I'm ready to fight. Or go ask them for forgiveness. Uh-uh, I know that ain't God. His ways are different. He tells them, get all the warriors together, right? And I want you, I want you to walk around the city. And I want you to... <laughs> Let it go. I'm going to get in trouble if I say that. Okay, so I want you to walk around the city once a day for six days. On the seventh day, walk around it seven times. Don't say anything. And then when you get around, then I want you to get everybody to shout. Crazy plan, right? But Joshua, he believes because, because he saw God part the Red Sea. He saw God part the Jordan River. And so he believes, and he tells everybody, and they all do it. And when they do what God said, that obstacle that was so big in their life, it just goes, the Bible says the walls came down. Now, I was teaching on this the other day, so I guess I'm, I'm off. I might as well go with it. All right. So in this wall, the Bible says, lived a lady by the name of Rahab. Rahab was a harlot, Right? It's amazing the people that God calls to himself, this harlot then became a part of the people of God and became one of the descendants of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is so good, right? But anyway, she knows they're Israelites. She brings them into her house, nothing uncommon because she has a, a place of prostitution or whatever, so that's, that's where they go. And so she hides them whenever the king finds out they came in. The Israelites came in because he'd heard about all the stuff they were doing. They want to conquer. They, they want to capture these people. And she hides them. And she lies. And she says, no, they, they, they took off or whatever the case was. But she hid them on the roof. And then she says, look, we've heard about all that God has done. We know that God's going to give you this land. You know, we're all in terror because of that. And she says, I, 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 um, I want you to uh, just make sure that me and my family. She's not just interceding for herself. You know, even, even the people in the lowest depths, they do care about people. And she cared about her mother, she cared about her father, she cared about her family. And she said, I want, I want you to make sure that we're safe. And they said, well, listen, we will, we will, uh, we will do it, we, we will keep our word, but you've got to do something. See this scarlet cord right here? You've got to tie this in the window. Now, where is the window located? It's the same window she let him down on the wall. It's located on the wall. 
right? They said, but every, you've got to get everybody that you want to get saved, you've got to get them into this, into this room with a scarlet cord. You must say, what is a scarlet cord? What does that do anything? Do you remember when the Egypt, Egypt, in Egypt and the death angel was passing over? Do you know what saved the people in the house? They were all gathered together, and there was red blood painted on the doorposts and on the lentils. And when the angel of death saw them, he passed over. And you say, well, what? what? That doesn't make sense. It makes sense in the kingdom of God. It doesn't make sense to us, but we don't know everything. God knows stuff. So anyway, you've got to tie this cord in your window. You've got to get everybody in there. So then when they walk around the city six times and six days, I mean, once a day for six days and seventh time on the seventh day, they shout. And the Bible says the walls fell down flat. Wait a minute. Who lives on the wall? Rahab. How do they know? She said, y'all go get Rahab and her family. How do they know where Rahab is? Well, you say, well, it's the cord that was in the window. I don't think the cord was for the Israelites. My personal opinion is the cord was for the angel that went and go, and he moved his little toe so that he didn't push that part down. Because the Bible says the walls fell down flat. I believe he stepped on that city wall and pushed my own personal belief. Right? But he did not step on that part of the wall. Why? Because he saw, just like the death angel crossed, and he saw the blood, he saw the cord. Right? So, why is this important? I don't know. That's a good question. I just got going on a tangent. I thought it was pretty good, huh? So, <laughs> so anyway, um, it doesn't make sense to a lot of times how we think, how we rationalize. But we look at people of God, and we look at what happened in their lives. We looked at how God did with them, and we have to realize that if we were like them, it probably wouldn't make sense to them either. But they believed. Huh? They obeyed. Even if they didn't understand, they obeyed. And so what happened was Rahab got all her family, put them in the house, all the walls go flat, my mind, except for her house. So the spies know where to go. It's the only place that's not destroyed. And they go over there. And they get them out. And this big bad city that was going to laugh at the Israelites and say, you're never coming in here in a moment, it was gone. Why? Because of the prowess of the Israelites? Because of how militarily strong they had become because of their technology? No. It's not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Well, that same Spirit that was working on their behalf lives inside of us. And not only that, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And what we're going to find is, like, uh, um, like Peter, well, let's look at Peter first, uh, Peter was called to walk with God. Peter was called, I think the second thing was empowered to walk like Jesus. And the third thing, he was commissioned to emulate Jesus' walk. You know what the word emulate means? It means to 
to copy, to, to, to like a, a, a teacher and a disciple. They're supposed to become similar, right? You're supposed to emulate Jesus' walk. And that's where I told you before, John 14 and 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. Now, this this say that the disciples that believe in me, the apostles that believe in me, the prophets that believe in me. No, he who believes in me. How many of y'all believe in the Lord? You qualify. Now, how many of y'all believe what he said? See, you can believe in the Lord enough to get saved, but not believe enough to believe what he said so that we go out and whether we understand it or not, we do it. As I said before, you can believe enough to get saved and we're not in any way knocking that. That's so important. It's the most important thing. We get in right relationship with God. But if that's our, if that's our mission, our vision, we will stop short of what Jesus intended for us as a church. Right? He said, well, what can we do? We're so few. I would imagine a guy by the name of Gideon thought the same. <laughs> right? In fact, Gideon had a, uh, um, they were being overrun by the enemy. They were, they were coming in. They were ravaging them. So it's not like they didn't, have, they didn't have crops. They had, the Israelites were growing crops. They were being prosperous and that the crops were growing. So much so that the enemy would come, and every time they went to go reap their crops, they would steal everything they had. Right? So sometimes your crops fail, right? But this particular instance, the enemy was stealing their crops. Reminds me of Malachi, right? Uh, uh, and I will rebuke the devourer. In other words, some of us, you know, we make enough money, but we never have enough money. I mean, if you put pen to papers, well, you know, uh, how much money? Uh, I, I think Jerry, uh, he used to tell me, he said he had $100, $100 a week shopping. Well, you know, Bidenomics, bad. Anyway, Bidenomics, not doing so good. $100 a week probably buys you $25 of groceries. Right? I said, Jerry, how in the world are you doing on $100 a week? He said, I don't know. Just do it. So somehow or another, he's managing on $100 a week. And every once in a while, he even lends me money. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, anyway, how to get off on that? Oh, yeah. So anyway, uh, getting back to Gideon, uh, um, they're, they're, the enemy is robbing them of their stuff. And so Gideon is sitting there hiding in a wine press, reaping grain. You don't reap grain in a wine press. Why is he in a wine press reaping grain? Because he's hiding from the enemy so the enemy don't steal his stuff. Sounds like the church. Hiding from the enemy so the enemy don't steal our stuff. I don't want to testify because every time I testify, something bad happens. I'm going to hide from the enemy so the enemy don't steal my stuff. But in hiding from the enemy, he's already stolen your testimony. Thank you, Mr. Lee. So an angel of the Lord comes. Same angel, I believe. And says, hey, mighty man of God. And he's like, who, me? <laughs> it's a show I used to watch. What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> anyway, 
He goes through this whole process where the angel of the Lord convinces him, convinces Gideon that God's going to help them overpower the enemy. And the way God's going to help them overpower the enemy was through Gideon. No. Not Gideon. Not the least in his family, the least in his tribe. Not the one who's hiding in the wipers. Not Gideon. Yeah, because he it's not about us. It's about him. And oftentimes, the Lord shines brightest when he chooses the weakest vessel. Right? So Gideon calls for an army to go fight against the enemy, and 32,000 people show up. Gideon's feeling pretty good about himself. Well, sometimes God doesn't want us really feeling pretty good about our strength. He wants us feeling pretty good about his strength. So God said, you got too many people. Tell everybody that's afraid to go home. Now, these weren't army people. These weren't military people. These were farmers who were conscripted into a militia. You ever seen movies where they call the militia out, and, the, and the, that's what they did. They, they're preachers, they're, they're farmers, they're, they're metal workers, and all of a sudden we're at a war. You've got to get your stuff, and you've got to go to war. How, as many of you afraid, go home. And I think there was uh, 20,000 people went home. That's pretty bad. But I'm sure Gideon was thinking, hey, at least we got all the people that are afraid gone. We still got 12,000 people that aren't, right? I can do a lot with 12,000 people that aren't afraid, a lot more than I can do with 30,000 people who are. And God said, no, you got too many people. <laughs> I'm sure Gideon's like, I don't like having quiet times with God. <laughs> he, this is not working the way I want it to work. God doesn't think like we think. He didn't. So he said, I want you to take everybody down to the water pool. And he said, I want you to have them drink some water. And everybody that laps like a dog, I want you to pick them. And those that don't, I want you to send them home. Now, depending on who reads it, uh, I tend to think the person that lapped is the one that got his hand and brought it to his mouth. And everybody else just went down and they, they were drinking that way. Now, you can do a whole lot of creative things with that. The Bible doesn't really tell us why he chose to do that way. All I know is that's how he sorted them out. And there were 300 people that dipped their hands like this to their mouth. 300. And God said, that's what I need. Right? And then he said, now let me give you the battle plan. You're going to need a pitcher. <laughs> you're going to need a torch. And you're going to need a trumpet. You know, sometimes those 300 people, I'm sure they were thinking to themselves, you know, Gideon's kind of crazy, but I like it. Sometimes you need some crazy, radical, faith-filled people around you that can hear God and will say, I don't know how it's going to work, but that's okay, I like it. Let's give it a go. And he said, well, we're <laughs> you think, you know this stuff is in the Bible? You know it's in the Bible. I don't know what you think about God. People think, well, God, you know, he's just all prim and proper. Do you read the same Bible that I read? Well, God would never have people do stupid stuff like that. Well, hello? To us, it's stupid, but it's not to God, right? And so what does he do? He said, I want you to go up in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, he had to convince him that, you know, well, we need convincing sometimes, you know, it's, are you sure you're in this God? I'm not sure you're about. I'm having to say, go down there, and I'm going to show you it's me. And so in the middle of the night, 
Um, he gets up, and all of a sudden it's pitch black. You know, God knows how to set the scene, right? It's pitch black. And the next thing you know, I think they, uh, they blow a trumpet. Now you think you're sleeping right in the middle of the night. So, you must think, oh, this is bad. We're being attacked. We're being attacked by somebody. And, you know, your mind, I don't know. Have you ever, anybody here ever gone hunting? One person willing to admit it. Okay, I've gone hunting before. And I want to tell you something. I, to practice for it. So hold my place there. So make sure I get back, right? All right. So you go hunting, and you go and you practice. You get your gun out. Go right in the middle. Right in the middle. Right in the middle, right? I realize you're aiming at the wrong target. So, oh, you go back to the right target. Right in the middle. You got it all set down, right? I got it, right? I do everything right. I know how to do everything right. I know how to breathe. Breathe. Let a little bit out. Wait. Pause a minute. Shoot, you know? And uh, so anyway, you go out there in the blind, and then when you get out in the blind, you have this beautiful deer come out in front of you, you know, sits right up there, and you get your hand, your gun, and you're going, what's wrong with this scope? You got bruises all on your eyes, you know, trying to keep that thing straight. You shoot, and the deer goes, huh? You see, when all this was happening, we don't realize sometimes human emotion. God does. When they blew that trumpet in the middle of the night, it was probably, all the stars were probably gone. It was probably pretty black. You know, they wake up, what's going on? They're afraid. They're scared. And they start, they can't see because all their lights are off because they're sleeping. They figure the people that are running out are probably another army. They start killing each other. And all of a sudden, they break their, their lanterns. They light their torches. And it looks like there's this great army coming. And, you know, God just uses Gideon to rout that army. Makes no sense militarily from the way we look at things. But it makes perfect sense to God. Do what I say, no matter how crazy it is, do what I say and watch me move. Right? Here's the problem. Same God, same God yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, yeah, God. Oh, yeah, God. Oh, yeah, God. And all of a sudden, you hear from God, and you're like, no. That don't sound like God. No. No, I'm not going to do that. No. I don't want to look foolish, you know. No. I, 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 I just don't know if I can do that. Same, the peop people have not changed. We're the same. We're all the same. What we need to realize is that that's not, an, we think it's an opportunity for failure but we need to start looking at it as an opportunity for success. To see God's hand move. And it could be something as simple. You're walking into JCPenney's or some of y'all like to go to Ross or whatever the case may be. You see somebody limping there and a crazy thought gets into your head and you say, hey, you need to go pray for that lady. Uh-uh. What's pastor's number? <laughs> Call me, but I will pray with you to build your courage up to go pray with the lady and do what God told you to do, right? Well, what if nothing happens? Well, I want to tell you something. Anytime you minister to somebody, if they feel love from you, even if nothing happens, you haven't lost anything. Love, compassion, touch, but what might happen is you might pray for them, and the next thing you know, there's a report in the facts, 
that somebody was in Ross, and they got prayed for. They don't know who it was. They prayed for them, and the next thing you know, their leg grew three inches. Their spine, which was totally uh, messed up, is now whole. They have no pain. They, they were able to go to work. Why? Because of us? In some sense. Because of God. Because like the Lord, we realize we are called, like Peter, not to be in the boat we're called to be out on the water. Well, how am I going to do that? The same way Jesus did. He lived and walked a victorious Christian, overcoming supernatural life. And that's what we're called to do, to live a victorious, overcoming supernatural life. And what does that look like? Is it just for me? No. He went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. It's not just for me. It's for them. And everywhere out there that people are is a person just like me 30-something years ago that is waiting for someone like you and me to go tell them, show them, demonstrate to them who Jesus really is. Well, that's crazy. We serve a crazy God, right? And then, by the way, he kind of calls us crazy too. Because it says in Peter, it says, we are a peculiar people. Turn to somebody on your left and right and say, hey, you're peculiar. <laughs> and you turn them back and say, I know, I know. Peculiar for Jesus, right? So I just want to encourage you all tonight. I know I didn't get very far. I want to encourage you to be crazy like Peter. Well, wait a minute. Peter sank. Well, only when he got his eyes off Jesus. Right? But the good news is, even when he did start sinking, and that was really the point of my message. I didn't get to finish it, but the point was, Jesus was right there to pick him up. He said, well, what was the purpose of that? He failed. Did he fail? He did not fail. He walked on the water. How many of us can say we've done that? None of us right? And he learned from that. Keep my eyes on Jesus. I want to tell you something. There, I've, I've had many failures. I, I don't anticipate that I'm going to be perfect till I live. I mean, however long God chooses me to live, I'm going to have my failures. But what I want to learn is what happened there. Ah, I got my eyes on the storm and I got my eyes off Jesus. So I want to learn how to keep my eyes on Jesus in the middle of the storm whatever that storm may be. And I believe that's what God wants for us. Well, we'll stop.